Okay, 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll continue in 1 Peter chapter 1. And um, this is uh, session 5, I believe. And we are going through this together and doing it verse by verse, not exhaustively, because that would be exhausting to us all. Not as much to the teacher as to the listeners. You can never get too deep into the Word, amen. It's awesome. However, in 1 Peter 1, we went down through verse 16, following all the sentence and all the thought. We want to go back just a couple verses with that and just have a quick look at these, this one idea. To, and it's, a, it's an important one. Now, <clears throat> when certain words come to your ears and my ears, they will mean things according to our experience, according to our education, okay? And in many ways, it will happen according to our expectation. So we've got experience, we've got education, we've got expectation. I think every one of us is capable of, probably practices many times, thinking we know what someone's going to say as soon as they start a sentence. And we think we got it figured out. Many times, that's a great barrier to communication. When you come to the Bible, it is especially so. Because we are, every one of us, unique and individual to some extent. And yet the Lord's plan is for us to be conformed to the image of Christ. Now, He doesn't take away and make you a, a robot or anything like that. However, the greatest unity is amongst believers who are like Jesus Christ. So you still maintain that individuality that you have being here on earth, just like all the disciples were individuals, just like all the Old Testament characters were individuals. But the more we become like Christ as we follow Him here, leading up to our going home to heaven, and being just like him, the more we do that, then the more fellowship we have one with another. But also, the more the world can see what it is for someone to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, not just a religious person, not just as the world defines it, a Christian. And we went through this a little bit last time. I just want to pick it up verse 13 and read a few verses. <coughs> And go just a little deeper with it, okay? Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. And we pointed out to you that you can go over to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. And then this will coordinate and match up with the girdle of truth. And it shows you that you, are, you have to gird up. You have to really strengthen and protect your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. So he's given us pictures. The Bible's amazing. And he says, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's not just saying don't be intoxicated, although it's definitely saying that. But when one is sober, is they're thinking seriously. Not somber. Not somber. I, I think joy, personally, <clears throat> and the ability to rejoice in trouble is, is one of Christ's attributes he imparts to us 
but sober in our thinking, because he's talking about the loins of our minds, sober in our thinking. So that when we look at things, we're not, it's not a negative mindset, okay? It's, it's not a purely restrictive or religious mindset at all, but it's soberly. So when a person's thinking soberly, they're thinking straight, okay? They're thinking uh, rationally, they're, they're thinking stable. All these kind of words go with it. So he says, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that has been brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he uses this little word as. The word as in English is a very powerful word. It correlates. It points you to an illustration. It points you to a picture that, you know, they say is worth a thousand, pictures worth a thousand words. So he says as, as. There's so many things that we can learn if we get that connection, as. Not, not a literal copying of, but it's as. So he said, as obedient children. So we are grown, and we are going through life, but we're his children. So he says, as obedient children. Now you could read your book of Proverbs, and you should, uh, in the very near future, go through those passages on what a blessing an obedient child is, and you'll know how much of a blessing we can be to God. Okay? I really want to be that kind of son of God that he views me as obedient one. Obedience is, is not oppression. Obedience is not servitude. Obedience is something we offer out of love. And so he said, not fashion yourselves according to the former lust of your ignorance. Let me throw this in, please. A lot of styles... A lot of things are just done and copied out of pure ignorance. They're not because they serve a purpose. They're not because someone was sober and thought through what they were about to do. I see professing Christians, even sometimes leaders all the time, dressing and behaving in such a way that if they really sat down and thought it out, they go, you know, that's not the way I should be doing it. That's not the example I should give. See, it's not a legalism thing. It's saying, is this safe? For someone to follow or am I really just blending so much in with the world someone wouldn't know the difference if I didn't have to tell them all the time that I'm a Christian and so he said not fashioning yourselves when you fashion something you mold it you make it you make it like something okay so it's not just what you wear although those are called fashions but it's how we live it's how we decorate it's it's how we do things it's what what presentation we give to our life but as he which hath called you is holy so be ye holy in all manner of conversation and we know from reading our english bible that the word conversation in english isn't just what you say it's your whole life it does include what you say now so he said be holy and look in all manner of conversation because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And I wanted to point out that if we would give the Lord time, our time, and slow down and meditate on these things with an open heart and mind, I, I would say, and I mean this, this is a conservative estimate, I would say that it would change about 75% of a Christian's life. Now, I was taught to do this early on, 
And so, thankfully, I avoided a lot of the pitfalls that I personally would have fallen into by trying to relate to people. And by following what I learned from the old timers and from the Bible and from the Holy Spirit telling me what I should do personally, I, I've seen God influence people without you even having to tell them why you're doing it, but believers. And so we have to slow down long enough to realize that there's a reason for this. It's not just to be what we think is holy, but it's to be like our Heavenly Father and like our elder brother and like our Savior and like our shepherd. He says, be holy, for I am holy. That's the Old Testament. We know it's at several places, but Leviticus 11, for example, he tells them, be ye holy. Now, holy is not, you know, a stuffed shirt attitude. But I think if you think of where he's, they said, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, okay? He's holy. He's clean. He's pure. And so it is, it is akin to the idea of abstaining, for example, in 1 Thessalonians 5, abstain from all appearance of evil. Now, that is a really, really, really good rendering of that. Uh, there are other renderings of it, other ways they've put that in English that take away the power of it. He didn't say abstain from all kinds of evil. He said abstain from all appearance of evil. All appearance of evil. Not every form of evil, all appearance of evil. <laughs> I like what an old timer said. Old preacher said, that means... Uh, don't bend over and tie your shoes if you're walking through your neighbor's watermelon patch. Let that go a minute, okay? Down south, we'd get that. In other words, don't look like you're picking out the best melon to steal it. Abstain from all appearance of evil. You see, that's not some bondage. That's not something you say, oh, that, you know, it's like don't even look like it. Don't even look like you're doing wrong. Now, you say, well, I'm under grace. Yeah, yeah. Now, get this. What if being under grace means you have the power from Christ to go beyond the bare limits of the law? Not outside the law, beyond it. Even cleaner. You know, he says go one mile, go two. Cleaner. Now, it's not a matter of saying to people, I don't do that. You can... You can abstain from all appearance of evil without going around telling everybody you don't. And you can just quietly do it. And it still has the same effect, perhaps a better. But I wanted to point out, he says, be ye holy. So in the fashioning in verse 14, holy fashion. Holy fashion doesn't mean it doesn't blend in nicely and all that, but it's holy fashion. You ask yourself, it, ladies, if you're listening, you ask yourself, is this something that God Almighty would censure in me and say, you know, that's you're, you're taking your liberty too far. You're showing off too much of your body or you're showing off your body in such a manner. Do you not think that if the world does something consistently and broadly that we should slow down and say, okay, why are they doing it? For example, uh, there's the idea of, say, wearing a, you men wearing a pair of trousers and a, say, a sport coat and a shirt. And then there's the idea of wearing one that costs $700, $800, or even $2,000. I've known 
preachers that wore handmade suits. And of course, they said it was because they lasted so long, you know, and they'd spend a couple thousand dollars on a suit. And so you've got all these things that we could say, you know, Lord, help me, help me to be holy. I think one of the things that's missing today is the spirit that says, is this clean? Is this best for the work of God? Let's, uh, let's include two verses here. Come to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Yeah, let's just do this this morning. And we might even make this a little shorter session because I, I really would, would like for people to think about this. While you're going there, <coughs> remember that we were redeemed, he said in verse 17, 18, 19, with the blood of Jesus Christ, without blemish, without spot. So when God redeemed us, and we're going to pick it up in verse 17 when we come back for a few minutes, but 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. All things are lawful unto me. In other words, there's all kind of stuff you could do that's not, you know, biblically unlawful as a New Testament Christian. But all things are not expedient. In other words, they're not the best way to do it. They're not the most effective way to live your life. And then he says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And so if there's a habit, a desire, a possession, whatever, that you want to put the test to, see if it has power over you. See if you can do without it, for example. Uh, see if God told you to give it to somebody else, if you can do that. Now, beside that, in the margin, write chapter 10, just write 10.23 and come over there with me real quick. 1 Corinthians 10.23. He makes a statement again in context, but he makes it a little bit different. And, and both these statements are really helpful. Chapter 10, verse 23. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. Ready? All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. So there are things that don't build up you, edify. Edify is like the word edifice in English. They don't build you up and they don't build others up. So we should be careful about that. So in verse 17 now, back in 1 Peter chapter 1, let's look at it. If ye call on the Father, who without respect to persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. So live your work day in Christ. Live your business relationships and your neighborly relationships and your social relationships in Christ. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. And the, the religion of the day that Simon Peter came up in had been changed. It had been twisted, perverted. It was still had a lot of you know, resemblance to the Old Testament way, but they had, they had really gone downhill during the 400 silent years. And he says, verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. See, the as, as of a lamb, well, he was much more than that. He wasn't an animal. He was God in a human body. Now, I know people say he was all God and all man. I don't know if you can really say it, but I wouldn't pick it apart if you hear somebody say it, but he couldn't have been all man. Or he couldn't have redeemed us. 
If he was all man, he couldn't have redeemed us. He did not have man's blood in him. He had flesh and bones provided by Mary in the Bible. When you're related, you look it up in your little in your concordance stuff, flesh and bone. When you look it up, people who are related on their mother's side are flesh and bone. Okay? So he was as of a lamb, but he was the God-man. He was without blemish, without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God. So by Jesus Christ, now mark down John 14.1. You are going to be familiar with John 14 when it comes to, you know, in my father's house are many mansions, and I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He starts off the passage with this. Let not your heart be troubled. John 14, 1, write it down. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. This is a great witnessing tool. When you're talking to somebody, you say, well, do you believe in God? Yeah, yeah. Well, here's what Jesus said. If you believe in God, believe in Jesus Christ. And it's a good segue to get in there and have a talk with them about their soul. So he said, who by him, Jesus Christ, believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. So we don't divide up where we find this word God, capital G-O-D, but we understand that, that they are the three in one, but we also understand that the Father was the one who said, Son, go to the... He said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Do I have to become sin? He said, Yes, Son. I'm going to make you sin... You who knew no sin, I'm going to make you sin that, that they can be made the righteousness of God in me. And so he did. So when we come to these passages, one of the, one of the very important parts is God comes, looks at us without respect. You say, well, he had respect unto Abel and his, he had respect unto Abel's offering. He had no respect unto Cain's offering. If you call, verse 17, on the Father, who without respect of persons judges the court of every man's work. What is the work? He said, they asked him, what may we do to do the works of God? He said, believe on him in John 8. Believe on him. So why is it so important to understand that you, that, that work is, it, you believe on Christ. You, you exercise it. And he says, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. What fear? A healthy fear that you don't want to lose what God has for you in eternity. Let no man take thy crown, he said in one place. Don't lose your reward, he said in another place. So, for example, today the people are, you know, really upset. This is, it's March, March 2023 today. People are really upset about what's happening to their, you know, 401k and all this stuff. And how it's boom, devalued, and all that kind of stuff. It's a fear. Well, we need a healthy fear about eternity. Because you could lose everything down here, but still have a full reward in eternity. That's why you got to get your eyes on heaven. Amen. There's, it's not possible to be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. That's not possible. If you are heavenly minded, you will be of the most earthly good. But the difference is your spirit about it and your willingness and God directing you where you should be is going to be the key to it. So when he said, as much as ye know, verse 18, that you were not redeemed, da-da-da, 
understand that when we come to Him, we realize we can't buy it. Not silver or gold, etc. Uh, not a tradition handed down. But how? But by the Lamb of God. Verse 19. John 1, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And so he says, Who verily was foreordained before the foundation. Now, Peter starts the last times, in verse 20, he said, was manifest in these last times for you. He starts it at the crucifixion, so to speak. And this is a good way, if you have a piece of paper, you know, just draw one right across there, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, draw a vertical line between four and five. That's that 400 silent years. You had about 4,000 years of Old Testament times from the time Adam left the garden till Christ comes. A thousand years is as a day, and a day is a thousand years. Okay? And when we come into this and we get to studying it, okay, what's going to happen, by the way, uh, it's, it's important to understand that when God gives us these timetables, that He always uses the word about, so it's not down to one single year to argue over. And you can make a note in your margin there of Second Peter 3, verse 8. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, a thousand years one day. He's talking about the second advent, etc. So, at the cross is where that vertical line is. You could draw a little hill with three crosses, one at the top and two on the side, one on either side. And from then on, we're in the last days. So, let's say your week starts... On a Sunday. So you got Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. What do they call Wednesday? They call it hump day. <laughs> How about that? Jesus Christ crucified on a hill, on the hump. And then you've got Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You've got the last days. See, if you're not careful, you, you get the, a tree and not the forest. The forest is, we're about, we're two days into this. We're 2,000 years from Christ, approximately. And so it's going to start winding down, meaning it's winding up, if you get the play on words. That's eight, that seventh day is a thousand-year millennium where he tests humanity the last time. The eighth day, an octave, eight is an octave in music, okay? You go up the piano, when you get to that eighth full note, boom, it's an octave. Eighth is the new day, it's forever, it's eternity, so when Simon Peter starts this thing, he starts it at, at the crucifixion, and he says we're in the last time. So when people talk about the last time, they think it's like the last, uh, especially today with all this news, breaking news, breaking news, breaking news. There's no breaking news. But if you let it, the news will break you. I was in Psalm 1 this morning. It's the first. A great time in Psalm 1. It was such a blessing. I love that psalm. It has helped me so many years. But it's all about what he doesn't do. He doesn't. You know, he's not in the counsel of the ungodly. Do not start your day with the world. Do not feed upon the news on your way to work, etc. You know, you can get a weather report without getting the whole world's weather report. You can get an idea of, of how bad a traffic you're going to hit without getting everybody everybody's issues of traffic, okay? Because he said he walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Point being, 
you and I are in these last times. And by him, verse 21, we believe in God that raised him from the dead. So through the Lord Jesus Christ is how we have this relationship with our Heavenly Father. In verse 22, he says, Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. There's a great word there, unfeigned love. You ought to underline it in verse 22. How do you do it? Through the Spirit. See, he says, in obeying the truth through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will help you obey the truth. Listen, obeying purifies us. Obedience in any part of life. That's why in any training, they put you through stages to see if you can obey an instruction, an order, etc. Why? Because you've got to be able to do it under pressure. I was on a CPR course, updated CPR course recently, very recently. And <clears throat> this fellow also does a stop the bleed, okay? Well, a couple of weeks after I did mine, I was talking to him and he was on a course, refresher course, teaching it, and had the mannequin on the table, on the platform, showing him. And he looked back there and he could tell it was an older person in his say mid 70s he could tell something wasn't just right he was just like transfixed this guy and he went back there and he was what what we call unresponsive in other words he was breathing stuff but he was literally unresponsive and about to just fall over faint so they laid him on the side like you do etc etc and then he started you know recovering and everything and you know what it was? And there's, there, there's at least four things that can happen to, to cause you to become unresponsive or faint, as, as we call it, we would call it. You know, one of them, is, of course, is a side of blood. Some people, and it, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just how you're wired, many people. Side of blood, it's just, that's it. I'm done for people. Thankfully, I wasn't that way. I grew up, I wanted to be a veterinary surgeon, so it didn't bother me. But it's, it's not a sign of your manliness, fellas, if, if, if blood, you know, shuts your system down. Well, he was watching him on that mannequin pounding on that guy's chest. Now, let me say this to you. When you're on those courses, what's amazing to me is how many questions people ask that would be, they would be good questions if the person was, you know, okay, but you're just trying to help them. In other words, well, won't you bruise their ribs? Couldn't you break a rib? Yeah. But when you're doing CPR, it means they're dead. You would not do CPR if they weren't dead. So if there's signs of life, and when you use a uh, AED, they call it, an automated electronic defibrillator, when you hook it to them, it, it, it is looking for electricity in their body. I promise you I'm going somewhere with this. And looking for electricity in their body, it won't allow you to hit the, the shock, the treatment button, if there's electricity. So if you're touching that person while you're trying to get them all set up and you got the pads on them, it's going gonna, it's gonna to sense some electricity and, and it's going to assume they're alive because there's some sign of life, which electricity is in our body. That's what makes us work. 
So a heart attack is a plumbing issue. There's something clogged and stuff. But when your heart is stopped, in other words, it's arrested, heart failure, okay, <clears throat> as in it is stopped, not as in it's struggling to pump through the plumbing, then it takes electrical to get everything back on track. So you could be unresponsive and faint away from the side of blood. There's other different things. Some people, some people experience it uh, with heights. And doesn't that be like way up in an airplane type thing, some danger. This fella, all he could picture was somebody pounding, because he was showing him, you, you need it to penetrate two inches deep. You know, it's 32, 102. 30, 30 compressions, two inches deep, equal to 100 per minute. And then two breaths while you're trying to get somebody to find the AED. I said all that to say this. People will say to you, well, won't that hurt? Won't that hurt their rib cage? Won't that hurt this or that? They're dead. So when you're talking to somebody about their soul, it's okay to be considerate of them. But at the same time, you can't offend them into hell because they're already dead. They're already on their way to hell. They're already damned. He that believeth not is damned already, John chapter 3 says. And you got to get that into your mind and help other people get in their mind that you're not... Someone says, I don't want to offend them into hell. Okay, well then, live a clean life, fashion yourself holy, and talk to them about their soul. But you're not going to offend somebody into hell who's already dead. You're not going to hurt somebody, giving them CPR, who's already dead. Okay? And so when we look at this thing, he says, Obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. I think what we'll do is we'll pick it up next time right there. And we'll talk a little bit about this because it's unfeigned love of the brethren. My point is God said to love the brethren. So through the Holy Spirit, you have to find a way to. Many times you're going to have to let God show you what you need to die to in yourself. In ego, for example. Or die to in self as, as in, in ambition. Or maybe die to self just as in you might get embarrassed or you know, get offended if someone doesn't receive Christ the first time you talk to them. For the most part, if someone just falls all over themselves receiving Christ the first time you ever talk to them or anybody does, something's probably up. Probably want to go a little further with them and make sure you get them in. Amen. All right. Father, we pray you take this time and use it now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.